Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to have the opportunity to continue our sermon series. We're talking about the good news. Last week, Adam introduced this idea of good news about death, which seems weird because usually that's not good news. Um, But what death brings is life through the death of Jesus and we no longer have to fear death. And it's one of these realities. So this series, we're gonna be looking at these different ideas, the good news, and about this upside down kingdom that the kingdom of God that brings that a lot of times what doesn't seem like good news in the kingdom of God is good news. And so today we're going to be talking about justice. And justice um, from the perspective, when we usually think about justice, I know for me what the first thing is I started to work on this sermon that came to my mind when it came to justice was Superman, okay? Um, This kind of dates me a bit, you know, Superman, truth, justice in the American way. Not sure what the American way means anymore, but Superman was the good guy. He was always good. Everything, you know, he always fought. He stood for truth. He stood for, you know, what was right. And he fought the bad guy who was bad, like really bad, evil. And it was this, you know, you know epic battle that was going on. And he was on the side of justice. If you Google search the word justice, the top image that comes up by far is something like this, where you have the scales of justice or lady justice. You'll find this statue in our courtrooms and law offices all throughout, you know, in America. You'll find this. And it really guides us in this thought. So what is justice? Um, What is this idea? The dictionary tells us that justice is about the quality of being just, which means righteous or equitable or moral rightness. It also has this idea of, you know, the sense of determining what is good behavior um, as well. But probably the way it's used the most in our society today is when we talk about the criminal justice system or the justice system. And this idea of administering punishment or reward, depending on behavior, depending on the consequences of what we have done. And so this word, what's interesting about this word justice, while it's a positive word, um, it usually is used in the context of something that's bad that has happened. Usually, when we think of justice, it's because there's a lack of it. We, we think of justice, and it's something that people desire. It's something who people cry out for. It's something that is missing. In our world today, um, justice is um, it's a little bit different than what it used to be because truth is no longer fixed. It's a relative thing. Everybody is determining truth for themselves, and truth becomes this sliding scale. And so what's good? Injustice in this society becomes about what's fair. We talk much more about fairness when it comes to justice. And it kind of misses the mark. And so what does the Bible say? When it comes to justice, what do we see? How does the Bible talk about justice? How, how, what should we learn and figure out from Scripture? And throughout Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets in particular, 
talked a lot about justice, okay? And they would always look at Israel and their kings and its leaders, and quite often, justice was the topic that they were preaching out against. And there was kind of two things that the Old Testament prophets always spoke out against. Number one, you've abandoned God, and you're no longer walking with God, and you are worshiping false gods and other idols, and you're allowing the people to just be scattered because of it. And the second thing was about oppression, that the poor and those who are disadvantaged were being overlooked or taken advantage of. And time and time again, Israel's prophets, God would speak through them and come out in condemnation and say, you're not following God and you are oppressing the poor. And that was what God spoke out against time and time again the most. And in, in Micah, the book of Micah, you have the prophet, he develops this, and he preaches against both Israel, the northern kingdom, and, and Judah in the southern kingdom. And he's, he brings this to a head. It almost uses like courtroom language. And he goes, what is it that God wants from you? You're not doing it. What is it that he wants? And it gives this beautiful picture of what justice means. And he says this in chapter six, verse eight in the book of Micah. He says, he being God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Before he goes, what do I want? Do I want sacrifices? Do I want you to sacrifice bulls and sheep? Do I want you to sacrifice and give your first child? Do I want you to do these things? He goes, no. What is it that I want from you? What is real justice? Act justly to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Throughout scripture, what we see, justice is not about claiming a moral authority or a moral superiority. It is not having this scale that we see we're better than you. It is not about following the rules. It is not about a checklist of do's and don'ts, and I can say, nope, didn't do that. Yep, I did that. I'm good, therefore I'm just. But throughout Scripture, we see biblical justice is about building and restoring relationships as God intended. Justice, defined, is building and restoring relationships as God intended all the commands of scripture that were given are because God says, this is how you live in right relationship with me. This is how you live in right relationship with one another. But for us humans, we love to take that and turn it into a list of do's and don'ts and I'm good. And we're happy to stay there. But that's not what scripture teaches us. This is how we think about it as this fairness. If I do what's good, then I should receive good. If you do what's bad, then you re should receive consequences of bad. And we think about this fairness, and the problem is this concept of justice and this idea of fairness makes its way into our idea of what the gospel message is. 
and we have a wrong view of what the gospel is. So what is the good news? Is the question. What is exactly the good news? So I want to show you what most of your friends and neighbors and family, this is what they think you believe. You, you may be like, well, that's what I thought I believed too. But, but this is what they think you believe. And this is so important when you're talking with people, when you're sharing and about your faith. This is what they think you believe. Here's little old me, and I'm here on earth. All right, I've been given life. And someday... This life is going to come to an end. And if I'm good, God will let me go to heaven. And if I'm bad, God will send me to hell. And this life is about trying to stay above the line. Whether it's good behavior, being a good person, maybe it includes believing the right kind of things, checking off the do's and don'ts correctly. And if I check off enough good, and I'm more good than I am bad, then when I get here, God's going to let me go to heaven. And if I don't, he's going to send me to hell. Simple enough. Sound accurate, probably what most people you hear think. A couple problems with this. Number one, this is not what the Bible teaches when it comes to the biblical storyline. This is not what scripture teaches. And there's a bigger problem with this. This gospel, it is me-centered. This gospel is about me at the center and what I'm doing and what feels right. And what ends up happening because of this justice and me-centered mindset, ultimately, what's good? Well, because I compare myself to other people around me, I feel like I'm pretty good compared to most other people. In fact, most psychology, uh, psychological studies will tell us, and this has happened over and over again, about 75% of the population thinks they're better than the average person. Not below average, better than the average person, okay? The numbers don't work. We over-exaggerate our goodness and we consider other people's faults much more strongly than our own. What does it mean to be good? We ask the question in this mindset, how good is good enough? Where's the line? How bad is too bad before I fall off and cross the line? If you ever been in youth group and you have the dating or sex lesson, what is the question that's going to come every time? What is it? How far is too far? What can I get away with and not cross the line? And then I'm going to go right up to that line and probably cross it anyway and justify what I've done. This is not the gospel, but this is what people believe you think is the gospel. And so when you ask somebody, you're in a conversation and you say, don't you want to go to heaven? You know what they're hearing? You think I'm a bad person and I'm going to hell. This gospel is not compelling. Nobody wants to hear this gospel because number one, it's not true. Because guess what? 
we're all bad. None of us are really good. So what does Jesus and the gospel writers call the good news? What is actually this, the good news? Mark starts his gospel, his book, with these three verses. And this is what he says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, that is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The good news, number one, it's about Jesus. And the good news is Jesus is the Messiah, which means king. He is the anointed one. And he is the son of God, the very presence of God coming into this world. And John the Baptist came and he prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. The Lord is coming. And Jesus, later on, just a few verses down, in verses 14 and 15, what is the good news? He says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So according to Jesus, what is the good news? The good news is the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. It has nothing to do with me if I'm good or I'm bad. It's the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. And we think about how the Bible really starts. So let's look at what is the message? What is the storyline that we actually see throughout Scripture? Well, it starts in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see throughout chapter 1 in the heavens and God's creating in the earth. And everything that God creates is good. Notice they didn't say God created the heavens and the earth and he created hell for the bad people too. In the beginning, God created, everything was good. And in chapter two, we see that God, then he plants the garden in Eden and it's this special place and he takes man and the woman, Adam and Eve, and he takes them into the garden and the garden of Eden is where heaven and earth meet. It is this overlap where God is ruling and reigning. It is his kingdom. He is here. He's here on earth with mankind. But he doesn't have them as slaves. He invites them into this relationship, this beautiful relationship where he says, I want you to join me in cultivating a beautiful world, to make it fruitful. And in this space where God is with his people, where there is no sin, there is no death, there's this beautiful relationship with God, the beautiful relationship with one another for themselves, they have purpose. And with creation, there's this harmony and it is good. In fact, it says it is very good. In this place where God rules and reigns, it is so good. But then we get to chapter three. Because in the garden, he plants a tree, the tree of life. 
But he also plants a second tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat of that tree, because who do they trust? Trust in God's rule and reign. Trust in what God says is good. And he plants the tree, and he says, don't eat of it. But we see the serpent tempts Eve, and both Adam and Eve eat of the tree. And in this world, sin and death enter in. This is when hell enters the picture. It's because this is where sin and death come in. Hell is as much a condition and reality in our world as it is a location that you get sent to at the end of times. This is how the Old Testament kind of, the Old Testament doesn't develop hell as this place of torment very much like in the end. It's really this reality of sin and death and rebellion that's going on. In fact, chapter four and through chapter 11 of Genesis talks about how sin and death got so bad that God had to start over with one man who still wanted the rule and reign of God, and that was Noah. And literally, hell on earth, how else would you describe the Holocaust and genocide and slavery and sex trafficking and all these horrors that still exist in our world if it's not hell on earth? It is the power of sin and death because of rebellion to God. And throughout the Old Testament story, we see God wanting to get back to this space, but because of sin and death, we cannot draw near. We have the tabernacle and the temple that are incredibly limited. He's getting as close as he can be, but he, it's not here yet. And we see the story finally comes where God is preparing and we come to Jesus. And Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus comes preaching, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus, the presence of God. John described him as the word become flesh. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And Jesus wasn't just here to teach nice things and eventually die on the cross. He was bringing the reality of the kingdom of God walking and breathing. It's no longer stuck in the temple in a city in the Middle East. It is walking and breathing and going into your town and going into your village and bringing healing. And everywhere Jesus went, he was bringing the kingdom with him because he was doing the will of his father. He was the very presence of God, the rule and reign of God back with us. And Jesus described his mission when he was in Nazareth in Luke chapter four. He grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he reads what Amber read, read earlier. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everywhere Jesus went, his mission was to bring the kingdom to people. The rule and reign, when it comes, it brings healing. It heals the brokenness and the relationships caused by sin and death, whether it be disease, whether it be relationships, whether it be self-image. Jesus came to heal those broken relationships. 
and he taught his followers to do the same thing. He called them out to love their enemies, to love whoever they come into contact with. Ultimately, Jesus died on the cross so that we would have access, can you bring that last one up? That we would have access to this place, the kingdom of God. When Jesus died and that, that temple curtain was torn, opening the Holy of Holies, it wasn't just to let us in, it was to let God's presence out, to be in our hearts, to those who believe, those who take Jesus as Lord, to be the temple, to be the kingdom of God and taking the power and the healing of the kingdom of God into this world. This is the kingdom being spread into throughout the earth. And this is what you and I are called to be. We're not called to just sit in a building and wait until Jesus comes back. The kingdom of God is here and now. And you and I are called to be that source of healing. Jesus said, my church, the gates of Hades will not, Hades will not stand against it. This is not talking about the end times. This is talking about today. The power of the spirit dwells inside of us and it will not hold back what is happening. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and we are meant to push back the power of hell and sin and death that's happening in our world today. But this isn't the end of the story. Because someday Jesus is coming back. Someday he is bringing the new heaven and the new earth. We are not going to go up to heaven. God is going to bring heaven down to us. In the end of Revelation, we see the story of new Jerusalem being brought down to the new creation and those who want to live under the rule and reign of God today will get to live under the rule and reign of God for all eternity. And those who want to live in rebellion will not be forced to do to live under the reign of God. And this is where hell gets pushed out of the earth. And it becomes a place for those who don't want to worship God, those who do not want to be in his presence, don't want to follow his rule and reign, he will not force you to be there. But he also will not allow this to spoil the new creation. This is not, God does not delight in this. He invites everybody into this. That is a compelling gospel. Because we're not here yet. Go back to that other slide. This is what we are called to do. The compelling gospel that people all the time, they love Jesus. They love the message of Jesus. They don't like his followers, his Christians. And if we live this out, people would flock to Jesus. If we lived out and healed brokenness and we looked to bring the kingdom reality into people's lives, they would be changed. The good news is kingdom-centered, Jesus-centered, not me-centered. The gospel is for you, but it is not about you. You are invited to participate. The joy of this, seeing healing happening. 
And if the kingdom of God is supposed to be healing broken relationships in our world, what does brokenness look like in our world today? We talked about family promise earlier. I was talking with Nancy Ramsey, the director. I said one of the hardest things that's going on is most of the families, single families that are calling them, they are working. These are not people who are lazy. They are working and they want to have a home. And one bad thing that happens and they can't pay and they lose their house. And there is no affordable housing for them to be found. It's a consequence of a system, a housing system that is elevating value and wealth and worth. And we are not looking out for people who are working poor, who are trying to make it by, and there is nowhere for them to go. This is what brokenness in our world looks like. And it's not necessarily something that it's malevolent that we're trying to do, but it's because we're not watching out for those who are hurting. Whether it be poverty or racism, racism, broken families, anxiety, depression, or addiction, the brokenness that we see in our world, we are called to step into it and bring healing and hope. Many of you, some of you may know of Thomas Tucker. Thomas is a pretty rough dude. He, he came to be in our community because he was sleeping out in the house of prayer. He was homeless. He was struggling with addiction. Struggling is a minor word. But there were several people in this church family who reached out to Thomas who essentially adopted Thomas. And let me tell you, it was not easy. It was not easy. It wasn't a week. It wasn't a month. It wasn't a year of walking alongside Thomas, a lot of prayer, a lot of encouragement, a lot of tough love, especially from Tony Bowman and Abe Beachy and Adam and myself. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of days I was like, I do not know if this is going to make it. There were a lot of tough days. A lot of tears. I want to read you something that Thomas wrote recently on Facebook. He said, you know, nobody thought this ex-junkie would ever make something out of himself. I've been sober for going on five months, six months now. I'm married. Some of you are shocked by that. I'm married to the most amazing woman, Amber, and she has been a scent from God. I'm a father of three beautiful boys. I have a roof over my head that I pay rent on. I have a great job. I'm a man who takes care of his family. And I wake up in the morning, and the first thought I have is I get to provide. It's an amazing feeling, and I'm proud of myself. I'm happy with my life. And I thank everyone who is supportive. Carrie Fry, Adam Coulter, Madison Mosley, Shelby Scott, Zach Mosley, Mallory Mosley, Tony Bowman and his wife. My uncle John Winslow, Andy Gable, Abe Beachy, and Dave Gillum, and all of Cicero Christian Church. They took me in when I didn't have a place to lay my head. God is real, and He is amazing. And I lay in bed and I thank Him for helping me to fight those demons every day. I put my armor of God on every morning. Okay, 
I got to lay down because I got to work in the morning. I love you all. That is biblical justice. It is not what he deserved. It is not based on, you know, living according to consequences. It is about healing brokenness. And it is a privilege to be able to step alongside somebody. It is hard work. But that is what we are called to do. Who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. To live this life. To sow seeds of hope. To bring healing into this world. To be the answer of the prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't a prayer that we snap our fingers and God's gonna you know, wiggle his fingers and there's magic pixie dust that's gonna fall on the earth. He works through his people. And he's calling you to step out and be the church and take the kingdom of God into this world. We're going to end this service a little bit differently today. I want you to go ahead and stand and I'm gonna have the prayer team go ahead and come down front. Uh, those, you know who you are. So this morning, we have some folks who are prepared to pray with you. If you feel led by the Spirit, and you don't know what it is, maybe, but you feel like the Holy Spirit's calling you to be more involved, to take a step in the right direction, to be healing, and you would like somebody to pray over you, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you are experiencing brokenness, if somebody you love is experiencing brokenness and you would love for somebody to pray with you and pray for you, we invite you to come forward this morning at this moment. And if you don't feel led to come forward, I want you to pray where you are. Where is the brokenness? Who do you know that needs to be healed, who needs to be set free from brokenness that they're experiencing, whether it's their family, it's addiction, it's anxiety, depression, or their relationship with God, whatever it might be. We wanna challenge you to pray where you are. So if you would like to pray with somebody and have them pray for you, we invite you to come at this time.